Thank you for joining us for this special best of episode of Corkscrews and Contracts. I'm Wyatt Wallace. And I'm Jennifer Hamrick. And while we really enjoyed bringing you the past 12 episodes, we also realized that you may be behind on your listening. So we've decided to take a breather, enjoy some drinks, and allow you to catch up on the best of Corkscrews and Contracts. Thank you and enjoy. just had Callie and Josh Lowen on, but this story really stayed in our minds as a great one to kick off our show. These extreme house flippers shared one of their property horror stories. You talked about evicting a squatter, uh, <laughs> which was of the animal kind uh, just a moment ago, but I've heard that you had to do that for a human. Um, a few humans, oh. actually. So we had one particular property that was yeah, I, th- I think if you've been investing long enough, everyone has that problem child. You can name it. If, if yes. you're listening right now, you can probably think of the exact address. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so this particular home, um, so we had a squatter who lived there when we acquired. Uh, he, he was nice. You know, we eventually told him like, hey, we're the new owners. You just you can't stay here. He packed up his stuff and he went on. We didn't see him again. Hmm. No big deal. Um, we had another guy who's, um, I guess, just walking through the United States. Josh met him one day. Yeah, he was great. Um, uh, reading Tale of Two Cities. Uh, so we got to have a nice conversation about that. Hmm. Um, great novel. So, yeah, I mean, he was just literally. He was fine. I mean, he went on his way too. We explained to him like, hey, because oh. of our insurance liabilities, you can't be here. He said, okay, no problem. Put his tale of two cities in his backpack and enrolled on. Yeah, originally um, from Santa Barbara, so it was great. Yeah, great conversation. Uh, but a couple more of them were, were not quite so nice. Um, I'll uh, kind of work backward on the story. I get a phone call. Um, my background is in speech pathology, and I was working at a clinic. And um, it was my day off, but our receptionist called, and she's frantic. And she said, Callie, something is wrong with one of your houses. There are otters loose. I said, otters. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, um, <laughs> but let me just, let me see if I've got any emails or anything else that might explain what's going on. Thanks for calling. Um, and so I get on Facebook Messenger and I have this frantic message from an individual who will remain unnamed um, that I need to call immediately right away because my squatters, mine, Hmm. These people belong to me, apparently. My squatters um, have been terrorizing the neighborhood. And because of of me, the entire neighborhood was in demise. (laughs) So uh, what actually ended up happening in this particular area, um, there's a lot of development going on. You've got some beautiful $400,000 homes. Like, everything is, like, just spanking new. But then you also have behind where our property was an alley with a lot of just really rundown buildings. We had Mm -hmm. just acquired this property. So we're still boarded up. We're going through, you know, with the city, making sure everything is good for us to pull the trigger to start the renovation. And um, so we go down and we see, you know, back in the back there are busted windows. The squatters have, you know, my squatters, excuse me, my squatters had broken into our house and they've been hiding out. You're on a first name basis. Yes, we we were, we were. And uh, so they actually robbed some people in the area. They had stolen TVs and furniture. And then later ended up robbing the bank. 
What? Yes. So we had bank robbers, my bank robber squatters, <laughs> uh, terrorizing this neighborhood. Now, unfortunately, we didn't see any of that. So, no, I'm this like, was... if they're ours, shouldn't we get a cut? We were not, <laughs> not going to get a cut. So, you know, right there, it's like, ah, I don't know. They're not really employed by us. Um, so. Yeah, nor do I own them. Uh, yeah. Well, it can be hard to control squatters. I mean, you know. It, it sure can. And so, I finally got it. Otters are squatters. <laughs> the otters, yeah. I was so, like, they let loose otters yes. everywhere. So, yeah, thank you for clarifying. So, yeah, it yeah. was indeed otters, or not otters, they were squatters on the property. So, solve that mystery. Uh, but the squatters had been um, really running around. They were hiding in several abandoned homes. They happened to just be very close to ours. Ours was one that they chose. There were some back behind. The police couldn't catch them. Oh, um, until one day when Josh gets some video from our, our framing crew, and I'll let you finish out the story. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I think really one of the big things is why can't the police come in, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's private property. You know, they can't do it. However, what we learned from this, and now that we do this, is there are ordinance, you know, non, mm -hmm. you know, non-trespassing ordinance that you can file with this with the police in that uh, area. So we were there in the north area, so the north. Uh, Nashville precinct uh, we filed with them and we put no trespassing signs all over so now that allows the cops if they see something happening in your home and they see those signs up they can actually go investigate you know and they can actually walk in you know they, we've given them the permission that hey if you see something going on here go make it happen and find out what's going on so we do that and then my framers like uh, you know how you get rid of them I was like okay well Please, Please tell us. Yeah. Obviously, I, this I is set this. number three of squatters. We'd yeah. like to get rid of them. Yeah. Love to solve this conundrum. He's like, just take the roof off. <laughs> so, first day of de demo, as we're going to add a second story on this anyway, uh, we rip the roof off, and you don't have squatter no. problems after that. Um, and then actually, fast forward, uh, as we were finishing up framing, and the framers actually had some pictures of what happened. Uh, the squatters were caught, mm -hmm. um, and then actually uh, kind of headbutted a cop and everything in the whole process of getting while in handcuffs. While in oh, handcuffs, geez. getting arrested. So luckily, everything wrapped up. The person was caught and everything. But uh, squatters are, you know, no joke. You know, you have to know the proper way of handling the situation. And uh, the cops walked us through how to do all that too. So that they were huge help. But wow. yeah. interesting. <laughs> so, interior designer Pamela Dozier told us how the color of the year is chosen and talked all about industry trends. You know what? Um, I bring that feel. It's odd that you say hotels because the trend now for 2019 is to bring the spa and a resort into your home, into your interior. That's one of the top things now for 2019. So, what I've did is bought big fluffy white towels, white comforters, um, this aroma to make sure there's nice plug-ins or nice oil scents going throughout the home. So I bring that into the interior, and but that's not one of the number one trends for this year is to have the spa feel or the resort feel within your home interior, either business or your home. I think you're in that room of people that decide for the whole world. I feel like that's what we're having this conversation right now. She's a no. decider. No, no, I'd have as a decorator doing it 25 years. Every time I get a chance, I have to keep up on the latest because if I'm behind the trend, then I'm not going to be effective. 
when it mm. comes to decorating. Uh, my style, I love ornate renaissance period i absolutely love that the mm. dresses that the queen wear back in the renaissance shakespeare i love that but that doesn't work in the house right. <laughs> right. so now we're more simplistic we're doing the uh, mid-century modern uh, but we're not doing the entire home in mid-city we're doing elements of it because mm. we you know we still got the farmhouse going right now mm. but the mid-century 19 2019 is the mid-century modern that's what we're going towards now which is 1933 to 1965 is where that furniture came in yeah. so therefore we're bringing in some of those it, modern is <clears throat> you can also say that's contemporary that's another way some people confuse the mid-century modern with contemporary style hmm. but it's I guess it would say it's brother and sister because it is so similar. It's a different period of time. But that's what we're doing now in decorating is making sure that we have simple lines, not the ornate, the hand-carved uh, Rococo bed that has all these swirls in it, mm. which I love, but we're not doing that now. <laughs> we're not doing it as much. We're doing straight lines, simple things. Mm -hmm. I noticed... Uh, floorboards and crown molding these days in houses is literally just a straight board yes a two by four <laughs> that is painted white man, man yes. 10 years ago if you just yes. said they were building that into houses oh, no. i would have smacked you no you kidding me how no. much am i paying for this being put That's against right. the wall That's and it's a right. square yes a square and i have a contractor that we would do houses in east nashville and he would spend hours cutting every little piece to make that crown molding just right. And as you say now, okay, let's get a two by four and let's paint it and 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 uh, caulk it. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer the Hammer Hammerick brought her particularly informative take on the downtown condo market. What other cool features have you seen in condos? You know, a lot of us don't get to just walk into places like that. Right. Well, and other things... Um, I have seen double vanities now or something that large bathrooms mm -hmm. with double vanities are very nice. Um, Gentlemen, if you don't know what a double vanity <laughs> is, you'll find out soon enough. <laughs> you'll find out soon enough. If you don't know, get a girl in your life. <laughs> <laughs> they come in handy, right, Wyatt? They do. They do indeed. <laughs> so um, you wouldn't think being uh, having a big bathroom is like a big deal, but it can be, um, depend because the spaces in condos aren't the size of houses. Right. So, you know, the way the space is proportioned in, in the condo is important. Uh, floor, uh, not floor, but ceiling, toweling, bathtubs all the way to the ceiling. Wow. That's something it that's It brings great. the eye up. It does. It makes the ceilings even look taller. Mm -hmm. um, and then you don't have to worry about the paint around the rim. Oh, the that's the worst. The I hate cleaning the ridge Ooh, up right. at the top. It's just dust. Like, what is the point of this? You know, oh, God. Right. No, man. It just gives it a very uh, finished, really, um, really good look in the bathroom. Mm. So. Uh, every once in a while, you know, I look at the skyline and I see a lot of cranes going, especially in a town like Nashville. What, um, at what point do we say, you know, this is something I've heard from 
uh, of people that are interested in getting in and buying a condo and what have mm-hmm. you. At what point do we say, oh man, there's just maybe the price is uh, maybe there are too many of them, or maybe there maybe there aren't enough. What, what what's the story? Okay, so in the Nashville market right now, there are not enough houses, period, for for everybody that's coming in or that wants to purchase. Wow. So that is no different with condos. Um, they all those cranes out there. There are more condos going up. Um, we do not have enough here in Nashville apparently yet. <laughs> so that is something that is continuing to grow uh, to reach the amount of people that want to live downtown. Mm. So one thing um, with with uh, large corporations moving downtown um, because Nashville's still growing so much. Oh, Th- there's going to be even an even higher need. Okay. So, uh, certain organizations coming downtown are going to want their, uh, word on the street is, mm-hmm. they are going to want <laughs> their employees to be able to bike or walk to work. If that's the case, uh, more condos will will be, be definitely a need. Jody Rip Bugter got us straightened out on the power and procedure of 1031 Exchange. So the, the number one thing that I tell people, and if anybody is on this podcast that's ever heard me speak, um, I do a lot of speaking engagements, is there's no way that you're going to learn this code and everything about it. Uh, I am always available. I'll tell anybody that talks to me, call me. I don't mind helping you through. Now, I can never give you individual personal tax advice. Mm-hmm. I can talk in generalities of the 1031 exchange. So if you're telling me, what do I have in taxes personally? I can't do that, nor would you want me to. But what Oh, I- shucks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No free tax um, <laughs> advice from here. So. But, um, you know, the number one thing that I tell people, that it's anybody who's starting out, um, explain what the 1031 is. You own a non-owner-occupied property, an investment property that you purchased for investment, to hold for investment. Now, there's a huge difference. I'm going to go to East Nashville, well, you used to could do this, buy a house for less than $100,000 <laughs> and fix it up and flip it for two fifty. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to buy it at two fifty and then mm-hmm. hope to fix it and everything. But if you're going to buy a property in the word flip, and I'm going to buy this and flip it, mm-hmm. can't do a 1031 exchange. Okay? Now, some people are like, well, that's investment. Well, yes. But that does not count. You have to hold the property for investment. Then people say, well, how long do I have to hold it? There's no timeline in the tax code, in the 1031 tax code regs, that says you must hold this for a year. You must hold this for two years. It is truly your intent, right? Mm-hmm. So then there comes questions along that. And at some point I have to say, it's your decision, your choice with your CPA on if you want to do a 1031 exchange or not. Um, but just remember, it's always non-owner occupied property that's held for investment. So what kind of property? Do I have to take a piece of land and go buy a piece of land? Mm. Or, or you know, is it um, only apartments? is any real estate investment that you have, you can defer all the capital gains by going and buying another piece of investment, real estate that you're gonna hold for investment, mm. okay? So um, what, what I tell people all the time, you can take a single family residence and buy raw land. You can take 
an apartment building by an office building as long as it's held for investment. That's exactly what the 1031, I mean, that's a gist of the 1031. But the most important thing that if anybody can hear me, um, in order to do your exchange, you must have your exchange set up prior to closing the property you're selling. Uh, one of the worst calls I get is when someone calls me and says, hey, Jody, you know, I want to do a 1031 exchange. I've heard, you know, my so-and-so talked to me about this or said something to me about it. And, and I kind of ask them questions about the property. Tell me a little bit about your property. And, oh, it was a rental home I had for t five years. You know, oh, and ask them what they're going into, different things and kind of all of that. And I'll say, well, tell me when you're closing. Mm. Well, I closed two weeks ago. Mm. I have to be the bearer of bad news that you must have your 1031 exchange set up prior to closing on the property you're gonna do a 1031 exchange. Um, I'll do a short plug with my company, Asset Preservation Inc. We can, at that time, set up a 1031 exchange an hour prior to you closing. It's wow. easy to do, and we can set it up an hour prior. We ask you not to do that to us, but we can <laughs> set up the exchange, and I have done it numerous times, but just make sure it's always set up prior to closing. The title attorney, Brad Bald, shared with us the value of title searches and odd names. What, what is a hard conversation you've had to have with somebody? Ooh, no, that's a big conversation. Um, so here's a good one. A lot of the times, if, if, if you have a very simple name, like John Smith, oh. like, and you're buying, or actually you're selling property, and there are 14 to 20 judgments out there of John Smith getting sued. So John Smith might have a, a judgment against him for $100,000, $200,000. He may be a contractor and forgot to pay some of his subs. So he has all these, you know, uh, liens on his property. But that could be a totally different John Smith. So that couldn't be the that that, that could have be someone different other than that seller, you know, that is our client. So we'll have to basically reach out to all the judgment creditors and make sure and to confirm that those aren't the same two same John Smiths. And sometimes we'll have to do that really, 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 really quick. Whoa. And obviously we want to trust our client, you know, and we hope we would hope that they would never tell us that, hey, that was actually not my judgment, but then we come to find out that it was actually their judgment. Um, so we never want to make an, uh, assumptions, but those conversations, you know, do happen. You know, if yeah. they have something outstanding and they're not going to, you know, tell until the last minute, then sometimes, like, if there's money against you that you owe, yeah. you're going to have to pay that. Mm -hmm. And that's going to come out of your the seller's proceeds at the end of the day. And sometimes they don't like to hear that because they expect, you know, they say they sell a property for $100,000, paid off their uh, deed of trust, yeah. they expect to have close to $100,000 of net proceeds, but if there's a lot of encumbrances on there and a lot of outstanding liens, they're going to have to pay that off. Wow. Moral of the story, never make fun of a weird named child <laughs> exactly. again. Exactly. You're like, exactly. it's not a problem. Yeah. Exactly. Unique names are great. Renters Warehouse Nashville has become the top property management company in Tennessee, specializing in generating rental income for your property. Their Nashville team is local and professional. They're ready to help homeowners and investors lease their home or property with confidence. Call 615-398-9550 for Renters Warehouse Nashville.
Developer Chris Larkins informed us of what it takes to develop a neighborhood and what not to pick when it comes to paint colors. Just to kind of change gears a little bit, I know we've all made our mistakes in real estate uh, flipping (laughs) or whether it be buying holds or things like that. And they end up being funny learning experiences. Um, So (laughs) what is something that you have done that you were like, I can never do this again? (laughs) This was a mistake I learned from, and I don't want to do it again. (laughs) So many. I actually, now I'll have people, and they'll come, and sometimes they'll say, I want to get into real estate. What do you want to do? I want to be a developer. No, you do not. (laughs) Like, literally, there are so many better ways to do this. Like, you don't want to be a developer. Um, So, like... One of the dumbest things that I ever did was on my very first project. I had a good project manager, you know, but he was kind of really good at building and then fairly good at other things. And and he told me he could pick the paint colors on the exterior of the house. I didn't know any better, and I thought, all right. So he did really good on the first two, knocked it out the park. But not so good on the second two. He painted the second two like a like a pastel lime green, which on the beach would have looked awesome in the oh. middle of North Nashville infill urban development. I remember I walked out and I was like, what is this? He's like, you'll love it. Don't worry. He said, ask the neighbor. They love it. So I went over to the neighbor. Well, the neighbor... This is one of those neighbors where if they approve of it, you should not do it. Like that was... Those neighbors. So my agent who I hired, who's an amazing agent, Erin Kruger, I'm going to name drop her. She's unbelievable. There you go. Yeah, she comes out and this is our very first time. This is the first property she ever sold because it was my first project, right? She looks at it and says, okay, what do you think? And she says, well, the first two houses are great. She says, do you want to sell these other two houses? Do you want to sell them? I'm like, well, yeah, that's why you're here. And she's like... Well, the paint is horrible. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what are you saying? Are you telling me to repaint the house? She's like, no, I'm just asking if you want to sell them or not. If you want to keep them, just leave them like they are. I'm like, you're telling me to repaint my house. She's like, no, I'm just asking if you want to keep them or sell them. She's telling me to repaint my house. So I called and I repainted the house. Just painted, I repainted it again. And they sold. She sold all of them within seven days. She sold every single house that we had. So that's the laughing joke now. It took me a long. It took me a lot of houses and a lot of projects to finally, for her no longer to bring that up every single time we sat down. You know, like you painted your house green, lime, pastel, lime green. Okay, so do not feel bad because I've been that agent with Wyatt. <laughs> yes, I got to the house and it was bright pastel yellow. It's yellow. All right. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. that's right. the color you picked. Great. Yep. Great. Um, I walk inside, pastel, bright blue. Yeah. Awesome. Along like, with the pastel yellow throughout. It's like Robin's egg blue, maybe, if that's a thing. I said, I'm it pretty was... sure an Easter egg threw up in here. <laughs> Did you want to sell this house? That was my exact words. Yeah. Did you want to sell this house? or? And he's like, yes. I was like, I don't think Not we can do this. Happen. So... Mm-hmm. No. It was changed same day. Same day. Yeah. Same day. And former NFL player and owner of Woolworth on 5th, Robert Savage, gave us an inside look into what it takes to repair generational social strife. So fast forward three years later, 
he tells me that he uh, has a restaurant that he's trying to open up that has a, hit, uh, a very a hardened history. And he would like for me to be involved. Uh, would I like to invest in it? So I said, yeah, of course. So I invested some money into it along with some other former players. And um, we got it off the ground. Uh, and plus, I'm already a history buff as it is. Yeah. Uh, I did my research on it, but I, some stuff I already knew. And I was like, you know what? I got to be involved in this. I want to change the dynamic of the city and and also the outlook of that spot. And here I am today. Yeah, tell us about it. I know the your love of history just flows out of you whenever right. we're having conversations. Mm-hmm. What is that? Uh, tell us a little bit more, more about the Woolworth on 5th and the history, history that you're speaking of. And the okay. struggles that you've come through trying to overcome that history. Oh, okay, well, you know, back in the 50, 1950s and 1960s, uh, you know, across the nation, we had a lot of segregation going on. And at Woolworth, if, if you was black, you couldn't eat there. You couldn't even, you could work there, but you had to go out the back door or um, you just wasn't wanted there. And it was a lot of, you had a lot of sit-ins that went on down there. A lot of blacks was beaten for sitting there and cigarettes put out put out on them. Um, a, lot, a lot of crazy things. So throughout the years, Woolworth had closed down like in the mid-70s. And other stores had been in there, like Dollar Store had been in there for a while, and then they left. And then McDonald's actually was in there too for a second. Hmm. And then they, they left. And then it went down for 15 years. Uh, and then Tom decided to purchase it. Um, but the struggle that I've had since we've opened up with it Basically, um, you still have people who are still around from 1960, 1950, and they still remember what happened to them when they was there. So me being black, uh, I want to enlighten uh, the elders that things have changed, of course, because it's 2019, and that we are catering more to the urban crowd now, basically as in um, letting the history still show inside the place about what happened, but also showing that we are having our own Gospel music stuff going on there, uh, R&B nights, uh, comedy shows, just enlighten that things have changed and we're open. We're all open arms, open arms now. Uh, uh, and it's more of a, it's not a closed door mentality like it was back in the day. Mm. Waste of time. My mom was the first person to really tell me about Woolworth on Fifth, and all that right. was a year and a half ago and she said Wyatt the food's great and the atmosphere is wonderful in there and I said okay yeah another restaurant I should definitely go check that out right, she right. said no it is so much more mm-hmm. because you, you know if you don't realize that Nashville was one of the uh, pivotal locations for the civil rights movement it was it was and I, I feel like I didn't mean to cut you off there but I feel that it's not recognized enough that Nashville was one of the pivotal cities for that when you think about civil rights, you think about Birmingham, think about Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, the Carolinas, but a lot of things didn't even get pushed if it wasn't for Nashville. And I feel like Nashville getting overlooked on that scene, but things are changing. Uh, but your, your mother's right, it was, uh, it's a very historic place that needs to be known. Mm-hmm. And thanks for the food too, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> You may enjoy camping, but multifamily investor Paul Barbeau told us about a tenant with some serious glamping issues. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was uh, last week, it, it was this property uh, we're talking about now, it was the 32 units, and um, I pulled up to the property. I, I, my, my goal is to visit my properties at least once a week. And so uh, at this time we had a, 
an electrical problem in one of our units and, and I was coming by to check on the repair and um, I saw some smoke coming out of what looked, I pulled up and I thought it was the, one of the buildings and uh, I got closer and I realized it was coming from the woods and I was thinking, man, is it, are the woods <laughs> on fire? And um, I got over there and anyways, one of, one of our residents had, had built basically a campsite in the woods <laughs> with, he built a fire, he had, um, like a, like a fort with a couch in it, <laughs> and, um, and it was hidden in the woods. So, you know, my manager hadn't seen it, and uh, it just so happened that I was the first one to lay eyes on it. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I, I had to go over there and tell him that wasn't allowed. Put your fire out, sir. Um, what apartment are you in? <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty comical. But you know, it's. One thing about it in in the multifamily business, you've got to keep a, a close eye on, on what goes on and uh, make sure that your managers know what's acceptable and what's not as well. So Sounds like you couldn't just put that on autopilot and just hope that the management company took care of things. Right. In that situation, it might have been a couple of days before they found it and he could have burned down part of the woods over there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, or the building. <laughs> or the building. Right. Oh, now, man. I don't doubt that the management company would have eventually found him. I just happened to be the one that rode up on him. But yeah, it's, there's stuff that goes on that you just got to shake your head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And structural engineer Matt Haggerty took us under the floorboards with some interesting creatures. Uh, most of the time, I'm not called in right away. Sometimes the buyer will call me directly because they've either ran into structural issues in the past or they have some sort of experience with it and they want me to come out and evaluate it even before they have their general home inspection. But normally you just call your general home inspector, get your normal inspection, and then if they see something that's a little funky structurally mm -hmm. or drainage, then they'll say um, have a specialist come out there and then that's when I would come in. So. I like to tell uh, home buyers that, you know, the general home inspector is kind of like your general practitioner, and I'm the cardiologist. Mm. You got to see your general home inspector first, and then if he feels like I need to come in, then I would come in. Great. You sound kind of fancy that way. <laughs> <laughs> fancy, but uh, I do crawl under houses for a living. Too, so. <laughs> I'm glad that you point that out. Yeah. <laughs> under houses, and I've been through a few. Especially back home, we've got you know basements mostly. Yeah. The further north you go, right? Right. Basements, but here it's a lot of crawl spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a creature in a lot of crawl spaces that <laughs> looks like a giant spider, but it's really a cricket. Oh yes, and it freaks <laughs> me out every time. Like they just they don't make noise. They're yeah. just on the wall <laughs> under there, and you've got about a foot and a half to the ceiling, maybe, you know, some portions of of the underside of the house. And you just, I just don't want, like, I feel like they, they're coming to get me. Do you yeah. experience that? Well, I, I, I got to back up a little bit. Coming from California, I don't think bugs exist in California. You don't, you, you don't have humidity. You don't have bugs. Um, you know, when, when I was under houses under, you know, back in California, you know, you'd run into 
the house cat from time to time, or <laughs> there, there might be another critter under there if you're out in uh, more of the rural areas. Nothing too crazy, though. Mm. Uh, spiders, you know, um, yeah, out yeah. there as well. Um, nothing, nothing crazy, especially the part of California I'm from. Uh, but yeah, come here. My, you know, one of my first experiences when I had a general home inspection on my own house that I bought, and they pointed out um, a, blau- a brown recluse. Mm. I had no clue what those were, but then I'd hear <laughs> stories about what happens when you get bit by them. And we had a couple in, in our house. I don't think they were alive, but it's you know they like quiet places. So one was in the closet, one was in the attic. And so when what? I <laughs> one was it where uh, in in our closet, okay. and then the other was in the attic, but. Um, I was there when, no, when the inspector was there. It. Time to burn it. Yeah, we can't yeah, exactly. have this house no more. I'm like, you say that so calm, like I would have been ready to move. Well, it, it wasn't too bad. Uh, you know, I, the the inspector was there, and so I was just talking to him, and uh, you know, I, I, I still talk to this guy. Actually, he's a really good uh, general home inspector, and I was just asking him because I was like, you know, how is it under these houses? You know. In the winter when it's freezing in the summer when it's completely hot and humid you know um, are there these crazy bugs brown recluse Mm -hmm. uh, snakes things like that because I have no clue you know me coming from California where there's really not much of that stuff um, I I just didn't know what to expect you know I'm moving to the south who you know who knows what I'm gonna find under there (laughs) and so you know but he was very calm about it he was like you know it's it's really not too bad he's like I've never gotten bit by a brown recluse He's like, one time, you know, I ran into like a, a, some kind of garden snake and he's like, I just grabbed a stick that was under there and kind of shoot him away. So Mm -hmm. after talking to him, I felt a lot more calm, but he didn't tell me about the crickets and I had never seen crickets this size before. (laughs) You know, I I grew up next to a creek and we had crickets, but they were smaller and not, (laughs) you weren't enclosed with dozens of them. McDonald's Insurance and Financial Services is the premier insurance and financial services agency, locally owned and operated, having locations in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas. Their company works with only the most reputable insurance companies to give you the best coverage for your needs. Call 901-451-3811. Again, that's 901-451-3811 for McDonald's Insurance and Financial Services. Networth Realty of Nashville is growing wealth in Tennessee by providing people across the Nashville metropolitan area with the tools and expertise they need to succeed in the residential real estate market. Their specialists understand the ins and outs of Nashville and are experts at locating undervalued properties in the city's most desirable neighborhoods. That's Networth Realty of Nashville, 615-823-2777. Kate Condon, Chief Organizing Officer of Organize 65, shared the benefits of giving your clients her services as a closing gift. Well, and I feel like if you, um, let's say a, a real estate agent offers that as the gift at the closing of a home or something like that, really that person then can choose to have me come to their old home that they're leaving mm-hmm. and get them all packed up or they can choose to use me in the new home that they're going to and getting them started on the right foot in their new home. And it takes so much stress out of the process Mm -hmm. because people get stressed out buying a home and no matter, 
agents try to keep that to a minimum, mm -hmm. but this is just another way we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that makes me nervous about, and we talked about earlier, is having someone come in and, you know, you obviously ought to, um, work from a place of no judgment on what it is that you have going there. You're kind of, you know, like a technician, uh, a person who is skilled and knowledgeable, and you say, here's what I see and how we can improve it. Well, let's talk some more about how you don't judge me about how messy I am. <laughs> Okay, I'm yeah. just going to let that out there yeah. right now. Oh, there, I yeah. absolutely am incredibly honored that I get to be in that role because it is a very vulnerable place to be. It's amazing to me that when I walk into homes, how many times I will hear something like that where they'll say, well, I'm not always this messy or don't judge me because or that... I know it's bad, but that that my job is that's not my job. My job is to make your life better. So if you're if you feel like your space is really bad, yeah. you're gonna love me all that more. Wow. All that much more. Because obviously you trust me to come into your home and some of these spaces that I'm walking into, they feel like they have to apologize for it. But that's that's why my job exists, is because people have gifts in some other way and this isn't it that's why they seek me out because my gift is to then take all of that and create a system that works for you so i you'd be really surprised how many people start with i know it's bad but don't judge me or you know don't tell anybody somebody the other day said can I make you sign a non-disclosure? You cannot tell anybody who ba how bad my place oh, no. is. But I mean, and that's why some people, um, some people don't ever post a before picture when they, I mean, we're kind of going to the social media end of it, but yeah. they don't post befores because they don't want anybody to know how, how bad it was before the organizer came. Yeah. But that can be embarrassing and make people real vulnerable. So mm -hmm. it's good that you're able to just do that and make them feel, you build those relationships to give them that comfort level. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay. And what's interesting is people always think it's worse than it is. Mm -hmm. Because of course, I mean, you know, what you see online, what you see, you always see it the best of everybody. Yeah. So you're automatically assuming that the space that I've walked into is the worst version of it people always apologize they think it's so bad but it's never as bad as you as they are thinking yes yeah. it right. it's like okay it's just stuff is a lot of stuff is everywhere i did one um a pantry a couple weeks ago that the dad happened to be home when i finished and he was amazed that i could have even possibly fit everything in but that's because there was so much um, packaging. So he just automatically assumed there's no way you're gonna make this all fit. But so much of what I was dealing with was the packaging of stuff, the plastic that is sticking off the top of a, of a bread bag or a chip bag or oh. the box that all of your Costco granola bars are in. Well, if you take all that out, that's so much bulk that you're eliminating. So he felt like, they felt like they needed to apologize. That, oh, look, it's so bad. But all I did was eliminate some of the packaging, and it was this, oh, it does all fit. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I guess that strayed from your question, but 
it, it's people always think that it's worse than it is, and if you just tidy it up or you categorize like with like, it it fixes itself so much more quickly. I like that. I'm messy because of the packaging. Did you hear that? <laughs> and career coach Dale Savage described one of the brain tools she uses to assist clients in their growth. One thing I shared with uh, Dale and Wyatt before we got on air was that Wyatt now can say um, throughout the day here and there, he's like, I see it. I see what I talked about with Dale. I see it playing out and it's like clear to me now where it may not have been so clear in the beginning. Right. So, And that, that happens a lot because people will chart the course and I knew for Wyatt when he said, okay, I'm going and off he goes. And I was waiting because I knew it needed to gel and in his time, bam, there it is. Mm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's clear as mud, and then <laughs> you finally wipe it across your eyes. You go, oh, oh, I can see out this see window. Now. What? I can see now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right. Right. Many, many benefits yeah. from the coaching arena, as I like to say. I don't know how much you can share about, well, I mean, you can certainly share what I went through if you'd like to, but mm-hmm. I definitely uh, enjoyed our, um, uh, your not brain teasers, but they were kind of, Different exercises. Uh, exercises. Yeah. Yeah. Exercises yeah. to help me unlock what I was already thinking about mm-hmm. or, you know, how do I frame this in a way that is mm-hmm. on paper finally because as a, as a person that doesn't know what they're doing or where they want to go, mm-hmm. everything is going constantly. That's the monkey, right? And, right. Yeah. Right. That's the monkey mind. You're absolutely right. So you can hear it now when it starts chattering and going, well, I don't know. I doubt that I can do that. Well, if I do that, what will happen? It's with doubt and worry. And so um, one of the exercises that uh, we used um, is something many coaches use. Uh, It's called the Wheel of Life. And it's basically, I draw a circle on a paper. I divide that circle into six or eight sections. Mm -hmm. And I ask my clients um, to label the areas of their life that are most important to them. So I mean, people listening right now, you could do that for yourself. And um, what we typically see is we'll see family mm-hmm. or you know primary relationship, whether it's girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, blah, 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 whatever. Um, we could see career or sometimes if people just put work, that's a signal to me is like, <laughs> oh, they're not happy. They put work. They don't uh-huh. see themselves in a career. Mm-hmm. There's that. Financial security. Um, all, all kinds of things may come up. And I don't say, here's what you need to write. They write the errors of their life. And then I ask them to tell me, okay, today, if this little pie chart here, um, in the center of the pie where it's most narrow, if that is zero, and the outside of the pie over by the crust is 100, and you divide that 25, 50, 75, where are you today in the area of, your relationship. Are you satisfied 50%, 75%, 100%, 60%? And each one of those areas, I ask you to use a color marker and mark that for me clearly, right? And then I ask another question, give you another marker and say, now where would you like it to be, mm. right? And so that's where we see the gaps. 
Some people are spot on. They, they are very satisfied where they are. Maybe it's their physical well-being, um, their health, uh, and that is, they're good to go there. No, nothing they want to change there. Other people, that's the biggest gap. They know they need to exercise more, or they know that if they're exercised, it would change their mental you know, acuity, and that would be better for them, or it would help with this depression that they think they have, or whatever it mm -hmm. is that's coming up for them. And so then we'll look and I'll say, now, based on that exercise, what do you want to work on? Because this is what you told me you wanted to work on. Now look at this chart. And what is fascinating to me is time and time again, what people think they want to work on is not it. It is on that chart and it's because they took the time to take a view, a holistic view of their life. It is, and I remember yours, and you kept carrying it around. Like, I still well, have that. This is a game changer, Dale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And we can do that chart for many, many different areas of your life. So we could just take your professional life and chart that out. So it, the tools it can be used in many different ways. And it really gets people, I, I like to... Um, put tools in people's hands that they can write with, or if they like to do their iPad, then you've got your pencil and you're doing it. It doesn't matter to me what the mode is, but it is to, from hand to paper or hand to iPad or tablet, that something happens there because that connects to the brain. The neuroscience of all of this is fascinating. Yeah. So, but that's me because I'm kind of nerdy, so. I like that stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. You do you. <laughs>